Welcome to the Change Log, episode 0.0.2. Today is November 25th, 2009. I am Adam Stukowiak. And I'm Wynn Netherland. So what's, uh, what is at the changelog.com right now, Wynn? About five stories right now. But no, we've got a nice little Tumblr log set up on Tumblr. We thought, hey, in the interest of iterating on this deal and starting small and, and letting it organically grow or organically die, whatever the case may be, to uh, kind of leverage some of the free tools out there. And we've got a, a Tumble log set up that has some nifty GitHub integration. So when you post a link to uh, a GitHub repo and tag it as GitHub, I can automatically pull in the watchers and uh, fork statistics for that repo. Now, that's pretty cool because um, I see underscore.js listed there and jam it, and they both have the, the watchers. And that's real time, right? It is real time, and it's about four or five lines of jQuery, and uh, got the idea from GitHub's new version two of their API at develop.github.com, and they've got some uh, advanced features that um, require authentication, API keys, all that good stuff, but this was pretty straightforward, the the public information that you can get with just an unauthenticated call via a jQuery callback. Very simple, very cool, though. How long did it take you? That feature, probably an hour, and that's probably most of that was fighting uh, uh, spelling issues. Oh, boy. So you're a bad speller? <laughs> Those are always fun when, you, uh, when you're depending on a CSS class in, in either CSS for markup or in uh, jQuery for you know, your selectors to uh, act on a particular element, and you're wondering why in the heck it's not coming back, and you figure out you got a, a misspelling in your selector. That's the thing about jQuery, though. If you've done any JavaScript development, if you uh, and I'm sure you've you've run into this down, if you um, if you misspell that selector, it doesn't throw any sort of error or anything. It just nothing happens. You know, well, it doesn't know what to target. I know, but I mean, it's it's gracefully just eating the error. So yeah, you're left to so, pull your hair out. In this whole change log, the change log, change log show setup, I've probably mis- misspelled change. Uh, well, I've actually dropped the e off the end of change about a dozen times so far. So don't feel bad. That's okay. You're still learning how to spell squirrel. Yeah. Tune in to Adam's latest episode of the Web 2.0 show for a more in-depth look at how to spell font squirrel. Yeah. It's actually not the latest because I'm quick like that. It's uh, actually the, the episode previous to the latest. Uh-oh, I'm behind. You are. Kind of like I'm behind on your blog. I can't keep up with your blog. <laughs> <laughs> Endless stream of information from Wynn's mind into the blog. Jeez. So anyways, what's our lineup? The lineup this week, let's start with a couple of projects from Document Cloud. They kind of burst on the scene a couple of weeks ago with uh, underscore.js. Right. Have you seen this? Yeah, yeah. Pretty cool little uh, JavaScript framework that are billing themselves as the tie to jQuery's tux. I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I like uh, that. You know, I'm a Rubyist. I know you are too. And so, uh, Somewhat. I work in the Ruby land. I play one on ra- radio. Right. <laughs> So, uh, you know, if you come from Ruby and uh, you dive back into the client-side JavaScript, you miss a lot of those convenience functions for arrays and collections and things that you get from Ruby, like, um, you know, first and last and uh, unique and flatten, those just things we take for granted that make uh, arrays in Ruby so sweet. This project aims to add those back, uh, you know, really kind of fills a gap 
if you ever worked with prototype js they have a lot of those features built into that javascript framework and that was one of the things that i noticed coming uh, to jquery from prototype was just kind of the lack of array support there's some rudimentary array support in there around um, their wrap set for dom elements and things uh, but on the array side it's it's kind of lacking and uh, underscore does a good job of uh, grafting on some of those methods you can check it out at documentcloud.github.com slash underscore. Uh, very nice, um, nicely styled document uh, documentation as well. Yeah. Comment on that uh, when we first found this project. That's the simplicity of that document, that, that design for that page. I'm noticing something, too, on their readme at, at the, uh, the GitHub repo. They uh, they either stole it directly from handcrafted or they're just that cool. I don't know which, but uh, if you look at the readme, the same ASCII art for the logo. Yep, I think it's the same exact font. I think uh, I think they just had to copy. Maybe they're just uh, yeah. I guess when you're when you're that good, copy it right. <laughs> yeah, one other uh, cool feature that that underscore has is templating. Oh. Know? I've seen this in a couple other frameworks. Never had a real use for it. I guess I've um, always been a – my pattern has always been to, to create markup on the server and then send that down to the client where I can. But, you know, there's instances when you build a lot of elements on the fly on the client that you would just like to specify a template and have, a, have JavaScript do the heavy lifting for you, and this allows um, the ability to do that. And the syntax for binding variables within those templates is very familiar if you know ASP or or Ruby, the ERB syntax with the the less than percent equal syntax. Right. I know you're such a big ERB fan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you saw my tweets today, right? I did about Hamill. Yeah. It's like going back in time. I did. I, I really hated it because um, as I take a big swig of my coffee at, <laughs> uh, at 9 o'clock, 9.30 at night. I uh, I was really PO'd that I had to take this beautiful Hamill view. And uh, if you don't know what Hamill is, tune into the previous episode to this. But, uh, you know, I, I, I hated it. It was a beautiful Hamill view. I had to go and put an ERB, and I felt like it was like it was really, really painful. I was upset. I feel your pain. Yeah. I feel your pain. So templating. Templating is a nice way to just specify a template uh, i guess the the use case would be let's say you had a, a list of elements and you needed to bind uh, in a unordered list a, a set of li elements for each item in an array then you could just specify a template that had placeholders in there for the variables coming from your javascript object and you would just um, call underscore dot template pass in your data and pass in your um, your template and you get a nice um, HTML fragment for your for your uh, LI elements to put in the list. Pretty cool. Well, it's not really that bad if you're following a certain convention. You're not really like creating content. You're just frameworking your HTML markup. That's right. That's right. Which isn't a bad thing. It's saving time. Another cool feature is chaining. So, do a lot of jQuery, Adam. Yeah, yeah, fair bit. So one of the coolest things that most people like when they come to jQuery is is the chaining where you can, you know, the wrap set is returned at the end of every method call so that you can just keep uh, chaining methods together like add class, append, remove, things like that, right? Right, right. Um, underscore supports that as well. So you can um, 
call underscore passing your object call dot chain, and then you can call sort map first value, um, and essentially you queue up these method calls, and then when you call that value at the end, it executes it and passes you back a value, so you can uh, chain up multiple method calls in a row. It's really really neat. Hmm. You know, when we discovered our second project, Jamit, I remember. Um, this past week, clicking on the link, and the, my first uh, was kind of taken aback. I was like, somebody ripped off Document Cloud's excellent documentation site. I just <laughs> changed it to blue. And then I got to looking a little closer and found out this is another project from Document Cloud. Um, we're excited. We're going to talk to these guys, um, I believe, next week. Yeah. Upcoming show, so be sure and tune in for that. But Jamit is, as they call it, an industrial strength asset packaging plug-in for Rails. And so essentially what this is, if you've used um, Asset Packager or other plugins in the Rails space, it's a way to tidy up and compress and concatenate those JavaScript plugins, you know, all those jQuery plugins that you use in your yeah, CSS so I've used it, yeah. And it gives you one, you know, or a couple of, of files to download, one JavaScript file, one CSS file. This aims to do uh, the same thing there, but also build in a couple of new features like gzipping, which is um, zipping up those those assets and serving them compressed over the, the wire. So you're actually sending less bytes over the wire. Most uh, modern browsers support unzipping those on the fly, so it really cuts down on bandwidth. All right, so you're probably making the Yahoo uh, wise slow people that uh, really cling to those rule sets that uh, <laughs> Yahoo put out there. Really, really I'm, happy. I'm hopeful I can score an A on my website with that Y slow score now. That's a uh, that's hard. <laughs> I know. It's like, hey, I'm a C plus. Sweet. So uh, the other big feature is something that it was new to me, and that's embedding your image assets within your style sheet using uh, either the data URI method or the MHTML image embedding method. Oh wow! This is really space age material right here. This allows you to to take all those binary assets and essentially embed them in your your style sheet, which I have mixed feelings about. I um, I guess the proof's in the pudding, but I want to play with this uh, particular plugin and and see if there's any gotchas. It's just my my gut feel tells me that's a little too cool for school. How about you? Well, when when we talk to them, I'm sure that they'll give us a good reason why. I'm, every time you do something like this, you're always solving some sort of problem. So. Uh, I can only imagine they would take the time to do it either because it's just that cool to do for one or they really needed it. So True. I'm really curious to see what kind of solution, you know, what, what they were trying to solve by doing that. I look uh, forward to speaking with those guys. In, in terms of mixed feelings, uh, whatever works, you know. I think in today's web, we've got so stuck. It's it's good to have conventions. It's good to have uh, web standards. It's good to have these things. But at the same time, they do put you in a box. And sometimes it's nice to break out. That's true. That's true. Alrighty. Next up, Google Go. So you get some exciting news about this particular one. Yeah, scored an interview with them. I'm looking forward to it because I want to understand exactly what this thing is. Yeah. Everybody's talking about it. Yeah, a lot of people are. It came out, what, a week and a half ago? Yeah, it did. And it's supposed to be a, kind of a cross between a dynamic uh, programming language and a statically typed programming language. I hear they have a bias against Windows. They do. They do. The um, From the FAQ, let me pull that up and, 
and give that a go. We understand that a significant fraction of computers in the world run Windows. It would be great if those computers could run Go programs. However, the Go team is small, and we don't have the resources to do a Windows port at the moment. So, wow, significant fraction of computers in the world run Windows. Did you know about this, Adam? Yeah, I, I didn't. I thought it was a fairly large fraction. <laughs> I need to know how uh, significant it is. See if I need to start doing some testing in IE. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe it also ties into the fact that, you know, Chrome OS is coming out and it's really hitting hard with the netbooks. And it's, you know, I, I watched where this is going to go off topic for just a second, but I watched the uh, the video on Chrome OS today and I, I was like, why would I want to use this and what's so cool about it? And really it takes everything away about the operating system that is the operating system and just trims it down to the browser and right. getting, on, getting on the Internet which is what you most want to do. Well, I watched this video, and then I installed some software, and I had to restart. And I was really, really excited to get back to work because I, you know, I was just so desperate to, to take that handle and put it <laughs> and take it and turn it into ERB. Sure. So, I, mean, I, I was really racing fast to restart this computer and get back into, into my dev mode. And I swear, it took me forever. I, Ten minutes? Either it's my, my MacBook or, or something. I, I don't know, but... I felt the pain. So maybe it's something to do with the Chrome OS coming out and, and all that. Chrome OS does look promising as well. Um, it's one to keep on the radar. Gruber had, do you ever read Daring Fireball? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, he uh interesting comment this, this past week um, saying that it, it probably is a better fit for a second machine, which I totally can see that. And I think that is the use case for a lot of these netbooks. You know, it's, it's your travel machine. It's not necessarily your your main productivity unit right I, I like to just have the the opportunity to go get a netbook i haven't really had a need for one i guess if i'm traveling net, netbook would be nice you know i um i'm i don't know that i could get used to the small screen everybody talks about the small form factor you know and i and this as i'm playing with my iphone in my other hand which has an <laughs> extremely small screen um but as far as a netbook you know i just i there's sometimes even when 1400 pixels isn't wide enough for me and having something significantly less than that, I'm not sure like how product, uh, productive I could be with it. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't really a big fan of, that's why I never really buckled down and bought a, a regular old MacBook Cause I always felt if I'm going to spend the money on a computer, I'm going to spend the money on something with at least, you know, at least a 15 inch screen. You know why I did the original MacBook? The keyboard. I love the flat keys on the uh, the original MacBook. For some reason, I just you know it, it felt more comfortable to me when I'm typing. And um, I was so tickled when the new MacBook line, MacBook Pro line, came out with the same flat keys. So I went and bought me one of those bad boys. Cool. What's uh, what's <laughs> <laughs> Right. What's going on with browsers? I mean, we're on the on the talk of Chrome OS. What about Firefox? Firefox dropped uh, beta 2 of uh, 3.6. Why should we care? Because as uh, web developers, it's got some cool new features. Oh? You know you love new CSS features. Yeah, why not? Just give me more to do. More things to plug in there that uh, don't work in IE. Right. This is um, your chance to thumb IE in the eye and say, take that, Mr. IE user. 
you can't do uh, background sizes and you can't do linear gradients and radial gradients. You can't do multiple background images, things of that sort. There's also new uh, font face support for the WOFF format. Heard of this one? Also known as WAF. WAF. Yeah, that, uh, that for, same uh, podcast you referenced earlier with font scroll, we, we and uh, Ethan uh, Dunham, we talked about that stuff. Is there an L-E-T-L-D? Top-level domain? I'm waiting for somebody to register waffle.com oh, yeah. and rival font squirrel. There's <laughs> nothing but WAF format fonts. We'll see. Only time will tell. <laughs> Somebody's on Domainer as we speak. HTML5 video now supports poster frames in Firefox. So that's pretty cool that you can specify what image will be the poster frame which is that little thumbnail that you see when uh, the video is about to start. You can also do multiple file uploads with the HTML input element. So not sure how they're swinging that. Normally that's something you got to resort to um, Flash to do. Ever cut up one of those? Uh, no, no, not too often. I'm, I was never much of a Flash guy. Yeah, it's usually, uh, I'm not either, but it's usually the best way to handle that because... Um, I know you're a user experience guy, and it's always a, a pain to um, let a user you know, upload their uh, their three files just to tell them, hey, after you sat there and watched this thing for 30 minutes, that they're not the right know. format. I do like that. Uh, if you're talking about the Flash, uh, you're talking about the upload progress Flash Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like right. that. Yeah, I've never implemented one of those, but those are very cool. It looks like this is now baked into uh, the browser, that type of functionality, which hopefully that'll be another thing. That's the sort of thing that you would expect, you know, should be part of the the browser uh, and not have to rely on third-party plugins to do something so basic. Yeah, that's silly. I would have just imagined that it should be part of the browser, but, you know, it's not. Well, that is it for the changelog this week. Uh, No, actually, we should... uh pop one more in there, shouldn't we? On the, well, we were talking about that CSS stuff. We were going to talk about something very, very cool that got lots and lots of press this past couple days. Oh, Brandon Mathis's um, fancy buttons. Yeah, plug. yeah. That is cool. Have you used it? You know, no, I, I, uh, I haven't made any use of it, but I've seen a demonstration of it firsthand, and I think, you know, Brandon's a very smart guy when it comes to using SAS and using Compass in the right ways. And uh, I think it's really cool because it changes the luminosity. It, it has failover or, or um, uh, like fallback support for that same blog post you referenced with Squeegee using a, a, a PNG with luminosity and whatnot. Um, it's it's really a cool thing. Like you can just pop in one color and it, it sets the border color, the hover color, the active state color of the button. It's really, really got a lot of nice features. So uh, I can see why he's got a lot of traffic about it. I was checking out another one of uh, Brandon's uh, SAS plugins that you had pointed me to this weekend about um, using CSS sprites. Oh, yeah. So implemented a CSS sprite on the changelog uh, icons. If you go out to uh, thechangelog.com and you'll see the icons that we have for each post, that's a, a CSS sprite, which is essentially you know, one big image for all of your icons. And then you, you specify which icon you want to load based on um, background position, and that cuts down on network transfers and Brandon had a cool plugin to do this with uh, compass that I'm anxious to use in my next compass project. Uh, too bad we didn't get a chance to use it on the, uh, the change log, but it is a, uh, another promising, uh, 
Compass plugin from Mr. Mathis. Mr. Mathis. He's got lots of stuff going into Compass Core. Between that, some of his work with colors, the Compass Colors uh, extension, he, uh, he's doing pretty well. Busy man. Busy, busy, busy. All right, what else we got? Is that it? Is that the show? I think that's it. A short Thanksgiving week. Well, there you go. Well, in a few days, we'll be talking to Google and talking to Rob about Go. That should be an awesome conversation. We'll definitely come back and spread some good love in there. Enjoy the enjoy that show. And uh, what the week after that, talking to Doc and McCloud, and we'll get some of those questions we brought up earlier answered. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All righty. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Take care. Listening to this edition of the Changelog. Be sure to tune in weekly for what's fresh and new in open source. Also, visit thechangelog.com to follow along, subscribe to the feed, and more. Thank you for listening.